Welcome to Advance with MUSE Health. I'm your host, Erin Spain. This show's mission is to help you find ways to preserve and optimize your health and get the care you need to live well. There are many benefits and better outcomes for smokers who quit the habit in the weeks leading up to and after a surgical procedure. Today, we're talking about how MUSE Health's tobacco cessation program is supporting smokers preparing to undergo hernia surgery. Dr. Hadam Abdallah, a general surgeon and medical director for robotic surgery at MUSE Health Florence, and Demetrius Adams-Ludd, an MUSE tobacco treatment specialist, are our guests today. Welcome first, Dr. Abdallah. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, you specialize in hernia repair. Tell me a little bit about the surgeries that you offer at MUSE Health. So I'm a board-certified general surgeon, and I have a special interest in hernia surgery. Hernias are holes that occur in the abdominal wall, and there's a plethora of different approaches that exist in terms of how to approach these hernias and how to fix them. And so that's sort of the area of interest that's kind of sparked this discussion today. So how many hernia surgeries are you typically doing? How many of these patients do you see? I would say they probably compose about about 20%, if not higher, of the of the different types of patients that we see within the scope of general surgery. And what we've noticed is that about 15 to 20% will actually be active smokers. It's become a, an issue in terms of figuring out how do we optimize these patients to get the best result in their surgery. Why is it more dangerous to be a smoker who is about to undergo surgery? Overall, smokers getting any surgery, let alone hernia surgery, are at higher risk for complications. Those complications can include something we call SSIs or surgical site infections. That can include something as simple as a wound infection just at the skin level. It can also mean, in terms of a hernia patient, you know, an infection in the mesh because mesh is still considered standard of care for the majority of, of patients. And so we worry about the ability of the body to heal in the setting of ongoing smoking. What people don't realize is that smoking itself actually causes the blood vessels that bring the oxygen to the tissue that you're trying to have heal, meaning you know that tissue that you've operated on, and it actually causes it to decrease the oxygen perfusion or the amount of tissue that can get that oxygen to help it heal. So you're already kind of handicapping the patient before you've even started by smoking uh, and getting those things to heal after a, a surgery of any kind, let alone a hernia repair. Do you see this complication yourself in some of your patients? Personally, I don't recommend doing hernia surgery on active smokers if possible. That being said, sometimes folks come in with an emergency and your hands are kind of tied and you're trying to get them out of the situation. And so you don't really have much of a choice. But if you have the luxury of time and you have some planning and it's an elective setting, that's the best time to to stop that if it's possible. So now you're partnering with the MUSC Health Tobacco Cessation Program to really get some of these patients ready for surgery. Tell me about this partnership. So this was kind of born out of, you know, my realization that there's a need here that really wasn't being fulfilled. The literature is quite obvious in terms of what the outcomes look like in people who are actively smoking and undergo either elective or emergent hernia repair. We just know the complications are are, are higher. Overall, your best chance at a solid hernia repair is your first chance. Meaning if you do it right 
in the right setting and you've optimized that patient, there's a really big concept in surgery now called prehabilitation, meaning you're, you're essentially working to make that patient the best version of themselves possible. Stopping smoking or weight loss or getting their diabetes under control, these are all, it's kind of a you know, multi-pronged approach to optimizing that patient to getting them through that surgery uh, with the least amount of morbidity possible, whether that's smoking cessation, meaning wound complications, poor wound healing, we see oftentimes also in diabetics. So that's kind of what was born out of this is that we had a need and we weren't really connecting the dots, if you will. And then the other part of it is we would see a lot of patients, a lot of times would be told, okay, you know, I don't think you're a good candidate for surgery. And that was kind of it. And, and they were kind of left to their own devices to try to figure out how to quit. And as most people probably realize, quitting smoking is, is quite a, uh, an undertaking on their own. And so I saw that there was a need here. And let's put, you know, our heads together and figure out, let's give these patients a home, so to speak, so they don't feel like we're just, you know, saying good luck and, and go ahead and try to quit. And then call me when you do, as opposed to saying, you know, here's our team here's how we get you to quit. And I'd like to see you back and let's follow through with things and let's get you to that elective surgery that you need ultimately. And then with the added benefit of, hey, I was able to quit smoking as well. Are there guidelines that you have in place how long they have to be smoke-free before or after surgery for you to proceed? Yes. So my requirement is four weeks. And that's actually born out of the literature from plastic surgery. Plastic surgeons, they obviously deal with large areas of soft tissue that they have to move from one place to another, such as flaps and things. That has really been studied rigorously in that literature. And they, that's what they showed is that if, if you can quit at least four weeks before, your chance of complications goes down precipitously, just such as you mentioned. And so that is my requirement. And we will actually test their, the patient's urine to, to verify, to make sure that we're not setting them up for failure by getting them to surgery. If they actually were, in fact, smoking, we just didn't realize it just making sure that we're consistent and just being very transparent with the patient and saying, we are genuinely concerned about your health. I don't want you to have a complication that is potentially uh, avoidable. Well, because there is evidence out there, there are studies that's been done showing that quitting smoking just four to six weeks before surgery and staying smoke-free for several weeks after a procedure can decrease the rate of surgical complications by 50 percent. That's pretty dramatic. Are you seeing that in some success stories and with your patients? Yeah, I think the nice thing now is that when family doctors send us patients, not only are they getting their hernias fixed, but also we're getting their patients to quit smoking, you know, dual benefit. And yes, we have had success stories where as long as we sit down and explain it to the patient, provide the resources, they are willing to use those resources and those tools essentially to get through the process and get their hernias fixed in a safe manner that will optimize their chance of a good solid repair for life. I tell all my patients, we plan on doing this one time. And obviously patients who get recurrences, meaning the hernia comes back, or if they have complications, that can be quite an undertaking and you know, and quite a disruption to their lives. And my goal is to try to prevent that before we even get to the operating room from the beginning. And having you mentioned, this is an elective surgery, but if you have a hernia that needs to be repaired and you aren't able to do it because of possible complications as a smoker, what is that like for that patient? What does it feel like to be walking around with this hernia that, you know, you can't get repaired? 
it's quite uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's quite a disruption to people's lives, you know, whether their job is physical or not, or they have a job or the, whatever their daily life is like, it is quite disruptive as, as one could imagine to have to deal with that. But, you know, I always tell them the flip side is that, you know, if you have a complication from this repair, it can even be worse. You know, it's risk benefit, just like every, every decision we make in surgery is always risk benefit. It's, so it's kind of just a matter of walking the patient through that process and explaining it to them so that they don't think that we're just trying to dismiss their concern. Obviously, we don't want them to be in pain, but at the same token, we know what can happen if you don't optimize that patient as best that is possible prior to proceeding to, uh, to surgery. Now, we're going to talk more with Demetrius here in a minute about tobacco cessation programming offered at MUSC Health Florence. But just tell me, what do you think about this program and the type of services that they're offering your patients? I think it's a, a fantastic resource that's unique to the region that has not been offered before. And we're proud of it because it now offers patients a comprehensive approach to their care as opposed to just, you know, we have the technical know-how to fix the hernia. However, now we actually approach the patient in a holistic manner. And I think that's how medicine should be overall. You have similar programs in bariatric surgery, in other forms of surgery where you have multidisciplinary teams. Cancer, obviously, is another big one. Uh, having a multidisciplinary approach to hernias is an invaluable resource to patients. There's over 400,000 incisional hernias that are done in this country every year. That's ha almost half a million people that have to go through an operation because they went through another one. And so anything we can do to optimize that, that event in that patient's life, we are excited for. And you're doing other things at MUSC Health to make hernia surgery a little bit easier for folks, including using a lot of robotic surgery. Can you tell me about that? We here at, at MUSC Florence, we have the Da Vinci XI robot. My partners and I, we all do robotic surgery, specifically robotic hernia surgery. Anything from, you know, a simple, straightforward operation all the way to the most complex abdominal wall reconstructions, all doing robotic surgery, you know, which is a minimally invasive approach. The robot is a instrument that is under the surgeon's control that helps us better do the operation compared to traditional open or laparoscopy. Ultimately, the patients would benefit because we're using small incisions. The robot itself allows us to use a wristed articulation, meaning the tips of the instruments move even more than the human wrist can, and we can see a lot better compared to traditional modalities such as lap laparoscopic surgery. So that's been a game changer for the area in terms of our offerings to patients. You know, the smoking cessation program just is a complement to that ability for us to kind of tackle, you know, more complex hernias, but also optimizing those outcomes in the best possible manner. You, as the surgeon, you might be the first person to talk to this patient about their smoking habit and letting them know that, hey, you know, you really need to stop smoking before the surgery. Tell me about those conversations. What are those like? And what is it like now that you have a resource for them to go to? You know, initially, patients will come to you and they're expecting an operation because they have symptoms, they have a hernia. And so sometimes it's not always the easiest conversation to have with the patient because they have the expectation that you're going to just go ahead and get them, you know, the surgery that they think they need. However, I think it's just a matter of kind of taking the time and, and walking them through and showing them that you truly do care about their outcome. And it's not just about doing another operation, moving on with your day. It's actually about getting that patient through the whole process and back to their activities of daily living in a meaningful way to decrease their chance of having a problem, ultimately, you know, similar to the one that they came to see you with in the first place, which is a hernia. So how long are you willing to wait or work with the patient to get them to the smoke-free status? As long as 
the hernia that they have is not one that is, you know, going to compromise their health in the immediate future. And that is based off of imaging studies, my clinical examination, evaluation of the patient. As long as it's safe to wait, I will wait. And I will work with them as long as they're willing to work. We are now joined by MUSC Health Tobacco Treatment Specialist Demetrius Adams-Ludd. She is a social worker who helps patients at the MUSC Health Florence Medical Center and the MUSC Health Marion Medical Center quit smoking through behavioral changes and pharmaceutical therapy. She's been working with Dr. Abdallah to specifically help patients who want to undergo hernia surgery quit smoking at least four weeks before their procedure. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Tell me about the tobacco treatment program at MUSC Health Florence Medical Center and MUSC Health Marion Medical Center and what you provide to patients. The tobacco treatment program originated through our Hollings Cancer Center in Charleston, South Carolina. So this program has been in existence for five to six years, and it's led by our director, Dr. Benjamin Toll. And I've been servicing this area with helping patients with bedside inpatient counseling just to get them motivated and get them, get them pointed in the direction of using our tobacco services through MUSC or outside organizations like 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Not only do I help the robotics hernia clinic, I also help the pulmonology clinic here at MUSC Health Florence. There there's a need in this area for tobacco cessation. Tell me about that. How common is it to have patients who are smokers who are coming in for, say, a hernia surgery? It is very common. Marion in the Dillon area, which is in Marion County, this is kind of the heart of where tobacco farm families, cultures of smoking kind of started in this state. I speak to generations of, of families who this tobacco smoking cigarettes is what they know. They roll it, they farm it. This is a part of their culture. So it's been interesting learning about the history of tobacco, but I will say the prevalence of it is pretty high in this area. As far as surgeries, a lot of folks that I meet, they definitely have to quit smoking before surgeries. And it's becoming more and more common, which they may not appreciate, unfortunately, patients. But as a tobacco treatment specialist, I really appreciate the medical world going in this direction because the implications of having toxins in your body and having a surgery where your percentage of infection just increases, you know, you just want to have a, a safe surgery. And if cessation is the way to go, even for four to six weeks, which obviously we would love a lifetime of cessation for folks, we want to be able to support them throughout that service. How difficult is it? It is very difficult. So I look at this as a challenge, a good challenge, because I am not just pushing people for their health, but I'm guiding them there. I'm listening. I'm being empathetic. Sometimes it's not just about tobacco cessation. There's underlying layers and root causes to folks smoking. And sometimes they just Folks just need someone listening to them and pointing them in the direction to make behavioral changes, which is a huge factor in getting folks to move towards cessation is making behavioral changes. Tell me some examples of behavioral changes and then some examples of how you use pharmaceuticals to support people as well. With behavioral changes, one of the first things I do when I'm speaking with patients, whether in an inpatient or outpatient setting, is we talk about triggers. I may ask them specific questions about who in your home uses tobacco products? How long have you used these products? When did you start using these products? Around what, when do you notice that you're using 
your tobacco products. And those cue me to know triggers. So triggers, for example, could be when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I get is a cigarette when I go to the bathroom or after I go to the bathroom. When I have a cup of coffee, when I'm stressed, after a meal, when I'm riding in the car, when I'm drinking alcohol. So we go through a ton of questions when I'm inpatient and even outpatient to just get familiar with our triggers. And then we move to, to asking a little bit more questions. Have you ever used NRT, which is the nicotine replacement medications, whether that's your patch, your gum, your lozenges. Some folks even try inhalers. And then I ask the other question, have you ever been prescribed medication from your doctor to help with cessation? And that may be using um, medications like your varenicline or Chantix, as most people are aware of, Zyban or Wellbutrin. And so those conversations kind of help move a direction and create a plan of how we want to attack a patient's tobacco cessation, along with other health factors as well. So everybody responds differently to different combinations of behavioral and pharmaceutical care. Absolutely. I have a ton of patients at this particular hospital who prefer not to use pharmacotherapy. So they are against using patches. They are against maybe using a lozenge or gum. And it's not that they haven't tried. Some have tried and may have used the product inappropriately or may have been told this product will help you stop quitting when that's not actually how the product works. So they lose faith in it. So I find myself doing a lot of education on how products work and when to use them. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for patients or just general public that want to work on tobacco cessation, having conversations with your pharmacist, your physician, or even a tobacco treatment specialist, because sometimes what we read on the label, we may need a little bit more elaboration in real life. That is something that I do advocate for. But yeah, they there are patients that don't want to use pharmacotherapy, which is which is fine. It's their autonomy. But then I really emphasize to those patients about making behavioral changes. And so it's really having a outline of your day almost and looking at those times and those trends in your smoking and figuring out how can I remove smoking from this behavior. But with that being said, I also incorporate teaching patients or clients how to incorporate healthy behaviors, because when you remove one thing, you want to replace it with something healthy. Tell me about this partnership with Dr. Abdallah and the hernia patients. I was approached by Dr. Adala. He told me about what he's doing. And so we just worked out a plan where as soon as they get a patient that they know is a smoker, they would like assistance. A referral is immediately made to me. If I'm available at the moment, I can go straight to the office and meet that patient face to face. So they get to see who I am, ask me questions. Sometimes that lowers anxiety. It also gets some, some initial jitters and we just kind of move forward there. Whatever mode the patient would like to meet with me, we do that. And we just go through a couple of weeks of just training where we're talking about behavior changes. We're talking about pharmacotherapy and we're just kind of making sure that we're doing whatever we can to help that patient move forward in their cessation. What's follow-up like for somebody who they're able to be smoke-free, they're able to have their surgery? Do you get to see those folks again and see how they're doing? If a patient decides that they want to continue using our services, which some folks feel comfortable with, we are definitely here to support them in any way. And that may even include continuing pharmacotherapy. Some patients, without having that nicotine in their body, they're going back into their natural environment. They had their surgery. Life is back to normal. And so it is easy to kind of lapse or relapse into behavior patterns that they once didn't have. So just having that support where we want to be there, we want to explore our options, and we want to continue that maintenance. So yes, we try to make ourselves readily available. What advice do you have for people listening who maybe they're a smoker, a loved one is a smoker, and they want to quit, but they've struggled in the past? 
What do you say to them? Well, first I would say kudos to them for trying. Even if it's several attempts, it is very difficult to quit using tobacco products. So please don't get down on yourself. I would say first, just recognize that you can do it. Start doing your research about creating a plan. One person's quit is not the same as another person's. We all may take different paths in how we quit looks, and it takes several times to get to a complete cessation. Well, thank you so much, Demetrius adams Ludd, for joining me today and telling me about this program and partnership with the hernia patients at MUSC Health Florence. Thank you, Erin, for having me. For more information on this podcast, check out advance.musehealth.org.